Hello and welcome to episode 789 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. A very Merry Christmas to you once again. Let us begin with St. Alphonsus Liguri's Tuesday prayer to the Blessed Virgin Mary to obtain a good death. O Mary, how shall I die? Even now that I think of my sins and of that decisive moment on which my salvation or eternal damnation depends, of that moment in which I must expire and be judged, I tremble and am confounded. O my most sweet mother, my hopes are in the blood of Jesus Christ and in thy intercession. O comfortress of the afflicted, do not then abandon me. Cease not to console me in that moment of so great affliction. If I am now so tormented by remorse for sins committed, the uncertainty of pardon, excuse me, had a little issue here with uh, reading the prayer, the uncertainty of pardon, the danger of relapse, and the rigor of divine justice, what will become of me then? Unless thou helpest me, I shall be lost. Ah, my lady, before death, obtain me great sorrow for my sins, thorough amendment, and fidelity to God during the remainder of my life. And when my last moment arrives, O Mary, my hope, help me in the great distress in which I shall then be. Encourage me that I may not despair at the sight of my sins, which the devil will place before me. Obtain that I may then invoke thee more frequently, so that I may expire with thy most sweet name and that of thy beloved son on my lips. Nay more, my lady, but forgive my boldness. Before I expire, do thou come thyself and comfort me with thy presence." Thou hast granted this favor to so many of thy devout servants. I also desire and hope it. I am a sinner, it is true. I do not deserve so great a favor, but I am thy servant, love thee, and have full confidence in thee. O Mary, I shall expect thee. Do not disappoint me of this consolation. At least, if I am not worthy of so great a favor, do thou help me from heaven, that I may leave this life loving God in thee to love thee eternally in paradise." The page was folded over and I had uh, to undo it in order to read the prayer in its entirety. That's why there was a brief pause. Once again, I wanted to mention this book. It's fantastic. St. Alphonsus Liguri's The Glories of Mary. That's where I get the daily prayers from. And this is the back of it. The great doctor of the church, St. Alphonsus Liguri, has assembled here the very finest information about Our Lady taken from the many writings of the saints, other holy authors, and from sacred scripture. The Glories of Mary is five complete books in one volume. The first book explains the words of the Salve Regina and shows how God has given Mary to mankind to be the gate of heaven. The second book explains Our Lady's principal feasts and reveals to the reader's mind fresh truths about these mysteries. The third book explains the seven sorrows of Mary and shows why Our Lady's martyrdom was longer and greater than that of all other martyrs. The fourth book describes 10 different virtues of Our Lady, and the fifth book gives dozens of famous prayers, meditations, and devotions to her. Included are the theological proofs for the Immaculate Conception, explanations of the invocations in the Litany of Loretto, and a description of Our Lady's death. The Glories of Mary is the greatest compendium of nearly 18 centuries of teaching on Our Lady, and will lead many souls to a greater love of Jesus, through a more intimate knowledge of Mary and her exalted role in our salvation. It's available from Tan Books, located at www.tanbooks.com, and you can get it on Amazon, of course.
Today, friends, I wanted to take a look at an article from the Fatima Center, which was published this very date by a gentleman named Ian Stone, entitled St. Polycarp and the Response to Suffer. The first section is subheaded Suffering and Grace. In the first apparition at Fatima, May 13, 1917, Our Lady asked the shepherd children, Do you wish to offer yourselves to God to endure all the sufferings that he may be pleased to send you as both an act of reparation for the sins with which he is offended and an act of supplication for the conversion of sinners? Lucia affirmed, Yes, we do. Our Lady responded, Well then, you will have much to suffer, but the grace of God will be your comfort. This is a fundamental lesson of Christianity. Christ and Our Lady modeled it. St. Jacinta, St. Francisco, and Sister Lucia certainly experienced it. Every disciple of Christ must likewise embrace and live this truth. In the Cantena Ora, and there is a footnote, which we'll read, that says the Cantena Ora is a unique scriptural commentary in which St. Thomas compiles teachings from the Church Fathers. The title in Latin literally means Golden Chain. Golden Ora Chain Catena. Back to the main text. St. Thomas teaches that what Christ began is passed on through a golden chain up to the present time. This applies to all of God's divine revelation, which we receive through right doctrine and right worship. St. Thomas notes that from Christ through the fathers, there is a continuity in truth, which is passed on to subsequent generations of the faithful. Chains not only connect us symbolically to past saints and their beliefs, but they also function as mighty instruments which manifest the glory and faith of those who physically bore chains for Christ's sake. These saints truly rejoiced in the sufferings of their flesh, knowing with St. Paul they filled up those things that are wanting of the sufferings of Christ, Colossians 1.24. Likewise, they experienced the truth of Our Lady's words, that despite the suffering or through it, the grace of God was their comfort. Viewing chains as a grace of suffering, of comfort, and of glory is a paradox of the Christian life. Yet it can be seen everywhere. Consider how a grain of wheat dies to bear abundant fruit. The lowly are exalted and the great are humbled. Hatred is conquered by charity. A virgin gives birth and the crucifixion leads to the resurrection. And so too, prison chains become a sign of freedom. As St. Paul states in Ephesians 6.20, I am an ambassador in a chain, so that therein I may be bold to speak according as I ought. Chains as relics is the next section. Physical chains have been venerated by the church since her earliest days. Her venerable liturgy commemorates the feast of St. Peter's Chains, August 1. Rome has enshrined chains in two churches, both linked to the princes of the apostles. The major basilica of St. Paul outside the walls is home to the chains which imprison St. Paul. The Basilica San Pietro in Wincoli contains the chains that bound St. Peter in Jerusalem, narrated in Acts 12. These chains were sent as a gift to Pope St. Leo the Great by an empress of Constantinople. When the saintly pontiff received them, 
they were miraculously fused together into one. Some have seen this as symbolizing the union between the east and west parts of the church, which has certainly involved much suffering. Venerating chains as relics has also been noted among some of the greatest preachers within the church. In the letter to the Friends of the Cross, St. Louis de Montfort quotes St. John Chrysostom, If I had the choice, I would willingly leave heaven in order to suffer for the God of heaven. I would prefer dungeons and prisons to the thrones of the highest heaven, and the heaviest of crosses to the glory of the seraphim. I value the honor of suffering more than the gift of miracles, giving me the power to command evil spirits, shake the elements of the world, halt the sun in its course, or raise the dead to life. St. Peter and St. Paul are more glorious in their prison chains than in being caught up into the third heaven or receiving the keys of heaven. There is another one who lived shortly after the apostles who also bore heavy chains. He too viewed suffering for Christ as glorious. He serves as a catena aurea for us today as he links us with the apostles and earliest church fathers. The church celebrates his feast on January 26th, the day following the conversion of St. Paul. And there is another footnote that says, regrettably, the new liturgical calendar has moved St. Polycarp's feast to February 23. These changes confuse the faithful and lessen the theological and devotional impact our feasts are meant to have. For example, St. Polycarp loses his strong connection to the feast of St. Paul's conversion, January 25. This day, in turn, concludes the octave of Christian unity, which begins with the Feast of St. Peter's Chair in Rome, January 18. St. Polycarp is meant to be linked with the Apostles Peter and Paul liturgically and historically. Likewise, he serves as a bridge between East and West on account of his being a bridge connecting St. John the Apostle and St. Ignatius of Antioch with St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Back to the main part of the text for the next section, which is entitled Chains That Connect. St. Polycarp was born in 69 AD and martyred in 155 AD. He was Bishop of Smyrna, present-day Turkey and one of the churches named in the Apocalypse and ranks among the Apostolic Fathers. And our next footnote says Apostolic Fathers is a term used to denote the generation of holy prelates, who succeeded the apostles. They are the bridge uniting the church fathers to the apostles. And back to the main text, which states, we know that Polycarp knew and collaborated with St. Ignatius, Bishop of Antioch and great martyr. His greatest student, St. Irenaeus, identifies his pedigree as one of the disciples of St. John the Apostle. Quote, Polycarp was not only instructed by apostles, and conversed with many who had seen Christ, but he was also, by apostles, appointed bishop of the church in Smyrna, end quote. As a student of St. John the Evangelist, he is possibly the one referenced in Apocalypse 2, verses 8 through 10. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, and there is a final footnote here, the term angel in the New Testament is multivalent. It can point to several realities at once for obvious reasons, the bishops of the church can be referred to as angels. Getting back to the main text. These things saith the first and the last, 
who is dead and is alive. I know thy tribulation and thy poverty, but thou art rich, and thou art blasphemed by them that say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful until death, and I will give thee the crown of life. The two primary sources we have for St. Polycarp are the epistle of St. Polycarp to the Philippians and the Smyrnian letter describing St. Polycarp's martyrdom. Let me pause here by saying I am honored to even type the saint's name onto a computer screen. And if you have not read the entire account of St. Polycarp's martyrdom, please make sure you do. It can be found here and a hyperlink is given. His sanctity orthodox teaching, and willingness to confront those who contradicted the apostolic teaching is also cited by St. Irenaeus in his work Against Heresies. Don't you know who I am, Polycarp? The heretic Marcion asked. Oh yes, said the saint. I know the firstborn of Satan when I see him. Polycarp's life is marked by his boldness and faith. His faith refined by fire, see 1 Peter 1, 7, acts as an unbreakable link in this chain between the apostles and the other fathers. This golden chain, tradition, brings the earliest figures of the church and their teaching to our present day. The next section is chains that bind. As an elderly man, Polycarp is called upon to renounce Christ by the proconsul Statius Quadratus. Soldiers search out the venerable Christian leader. His location is betrayed. He must submit to physical chains. These chains lead him to an arena where the confrontation of his life will occur. At the stadium before large crowds, St. Polycarp engages in a riveting repartee with the proconsul, who maddeningly strives to have the respected patriarch renounce his faith. The proconsul urging him and saying, Swear, and I will set you at liberty. Reproach Christ. Polycarp declared, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? After boldly confessing himself as a Christian, the proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these will I cast you unless you repent. He answered, Call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. And it is well for me to be charged, excuse me, it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. The proconsul said to him, I will cause you to be consumed by fire, seeing you despise the wild beasts if you will not repent. Polycarp said, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour, and after a little is extinguished, but are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. Polycarp is burned alive. In the midst of the burning inferno, he prays and thanks God for the grace he has received in being considered worthy to be a martyr. Those standing nearby testified that a sweet-smelling aroma came forth from the Holocaust. Scholars studying the prayer have shown how it models a basic structure found in the Roman canon. As a priest of God, he recognized his suffering and death, reuniting him to Christ's sacrifice on the cross, which he had so frequently offered in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Unfortunately for the proconsul, the fire did not injure Polycarp his persecutors were forced to stab him to death. 
Then they disrespectfully burned his body so as to prevent the veneration of the precious martyr's remains. Polycarp stands out in history as one of the boldest and most intense figures of the early church who never wavered and feared nothing in preaching Christ crucified. The next section is Seeing Suffering with Our Lady. In his letter to St. Polycarp, St. Ignatius of Antioch addresses his fellow bishop. St. Ignatius was being taken in chains to Rome. There he was to be martyred in the Colosseum in 107 AD. St. Ignatius glorified God that the beasts would grind him like wheat so that he too would be a Eucharistic offering. St. Ignatius mentions that when they met in person for the last time, Polycarp piously venerated and kissed his chains. This glory and veneration associated with chains is a magnificent witness to the reality that Christ has changed everything for his followers. When we understand St. Polycarp this way, we see him as a chain who connects us to the one same true faith of all the saints. It is this Christian faith which transforms the chains that bind in persecution and in suffering into glories which last unto eternity, as our Lord forewarned us in John fifteen nineteen. If you had been of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hateth you. May we have the faith to view the early church fathers as these chains that connect us to Christ by faith. And if the time comes when we are called to bear our own physical chains and suffer for Christ, may we reply as little Jacinta with a simple yes. Many thanks to Mr. Ian Stone for that excellent article, a little bio for him. It says that Ian Stone is a traditional Catholic husband and father from Massachusetts he is a theology and philosophy student who enjoys reading, writing, and sharing the Catholic faith. St. Polycarp, pray for us. Let us conclude, friends, by mentioning Helping Autism through learning and outreach available on the web at halo-soma.org. That's H-A-L-O hyphen S-O-M-A dot org. Also, please tune into episodes 277 and 548 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast and share them far and wide. Those episodes and that website have to do with RPM, which is an acronym for Rapid Prompting Method, a system of communication for non-speakers. Before my niece was about eight years old, we didn't even know her favorite color. Now, thanks to God's grace, her hard work, and that of her families, breaking through to open communication via RPM, we know that she is a comprehensive genius who composes music, poetry, is very skilled in regards to mathematics, foreign languages. She has many gifts and talents. Communication is a human right. And RPM has been as massive of a breakthrough in terms of being able to communicate as sign language was for the deaf, or you could also point to Braille in terms of being able to read for the blind. It's taking non-speakers out of the prison of silence and getting them into the world of open communication where they rightfully belong. Put yourself in their shoes. If you had all these thoughts, all these feelings that you wanted to get out, but you couldn't do it, you didn't have the ability to communicate because you had difficulty in speaking, how would that make you feel? I know I would be incredibly sad. 
and frustrated. That's why this information is so crucial. So once again, please spread it far and wide. May God richly bless you for doing so. And may God richly bless you for listening to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. In the charity of your heart, if you can say an Ave Maria for me, I would be in your debt. And please tune in again next time. Goodbye and God love you.